Well, good morning, guys. Good morning, church family. What a good word this morning from the mic. Well, if you don't know me, I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here. Uh, my main responsibility is to oversee our college outreach and disciple-making ministry called Commission. And when I learned that Jerry was on vacation this weekend, I jumped on the opportunity to teach this morning. Sometimes I get pegged as the mission guy or, you know, just always looking outward toward those who... Um, anyway, I'll just keep talking. Maybe they'll adjust it. But I, I was pumped because um, tonight, today we're, we're, we're speaking on fellowship and we're speaking on what it means to be the church. And this, this really fuels the mission. We can't be on mission together without the, the concepts we're going to be speaking of today. This is vital. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no such thing as uh, a mercenary who goes out on his own to do this thing. We're called to do it together. So I'm excited for this this morning. Uh, last week, we were in our First John series, Light, Life, Love. But this week, we're going to pick back up in this Acts series titled, The Church of Faithful Gospel Witness. And in this Acts series, we're spending some time just fleshing out the various aspects of a faithful church and what that faithful church life could look like as we look in Acts chapter 2 and some other scriptures around that. So today, we're going to be in Acts 2 and Philippians 2 primarily. But before we get into that, I just want to see some hands. Who here has enjoyed the classic movie, now classic movie, The Princess Bride? Excellent. We are a relevant church. I like it. (laughs) And if you haven't seen it, I highly urge you to. In one of the early scenes of the film, The Princess Bride, there's this mysterious man in black, and he's pursuing the kidnapper, Vizzini. I think I'm saying that right. And when Inigo Montoya, this great swordsman, one of Vizzini's hired men that he brings with him, when, when Inigo points out that they are being followed, Vizzini responds that it is inconceivable. Sounds like that. Just like that. I try to do it. And not much later, he says again, Inconceivable. And then with the man in black climbing up this suspended rope that they're all on. Here we go. So anyway, as these guys, there's this this man in black, he's climbing up this this suspended rope. They're they're all on this rope on the side of a cliff. And Vizzini, he looks down the steep cliff and he says, inconceivable. Once again, he says it. And shortly after this, Vizzini, he cuts the rope and the man in black hangs on the rock face. And he keeps coming after them. And again, Vizzini says, inconceivable. And Inigo Montoya looks at him, and there's this famous line. There's memes about it all over. And he says, you keep using that word. I don't think it, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and this quote, this is spread because it often highlights words in our culture that we may be using improperly. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And today, as we look at how the early church devoted themselves to fellowship, we have an opportunity to grasp the depth of what true fellowship is. And the goal today is really to present to you a biblical view of fellowship so it will not be inconceivable nor seem impossible. Instead, the hope is that we can grasp and take hold of God's grand design for us, his church. And so let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, I ask that by your spirit you would move in our hearts. You would bring these truths that are in your word to be activated in our hearts and, and for us to move out of them, to, to, to move by your spirit, believing these truths, living these truths. Help us to love you more. Help us to know this love that you have for us, which would then 
transpire and, 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 and flow into our love for one another, and the world would see it, God. Do that work, we pray. Use this time now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we look in the book of Acts, this being Luke's second writing, we see the actions of Jesus' closest disciples. And we see those who heard this message and believed. Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and he empowers these new believers. And this group of new believers is made up of devout Jews from all over. From every nation, Acts 2.5 actually tells us. It's a, a diverse group, different languages, different customs. But now, one Lord, one King. One Savior, Jesus Christ. And as chapter 2, verse 41 tells us, there was over 3,000 of these Christ followers. And then, we're zooming in. Chapter 2, verse 42, it continues. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the word here for fellowship in the original language of this text is koinonia. Interestingly, The original language in which the New Testament was written is called Koine Greek. And Koine means common. The New Testament, it was written in a common language of the people of that day. Koine Greek, it was a a language shared by all. Koine, shared. And so the meaning of Koinonia is similar. It's translated in other places as sharing a common life, communion, and participation. And we'll see that Koinonia expresses a shared life with other believers, a life that we also share with God the Father, God the Son. It's a, relation, it's a relationship first, and then a participation in that relationship. So continuing in verse 43, we see that koinonia is worked out here in the early church. Look with me. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And here they see themselves as part of God's family. And in turn, they share their lives with one another. That means, that means giving up their possessions, spending every day together, praying for one another, sharing scripture, sharing meals, sharing homes with strangers from distant places. How wild would that have been? These strangers that they now call brothers and sisters in Christ. The early church was devoted. They were devoted towards sacrificially living life in which they met day by day, every day. This infant church interacted daily, not weekly. They steadfastly and single-mindedly pursued this way of life together. And as Acts 2.47 says, those around them, they took notice. They came to place their faith in Jesus. Oh, would that be us? Would the neighborhood take notice? Would our neighbors take notice? Would our friends, our relatives, even our enemies see something different about us? And though our world looks vastly different today, we as a church, we can look to this example of the early church that they set before us as they understood their shared life with God and their shared life with one another. The church as seen in Acts 2, it was composed of various people from all over the Mediterranean. You had people who were of Jewish descent, but now they have been united in this new found faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus brought them together. And they knew that in Christ, they were united with God and in turn with each other. We see this fellowship between God and us as his people expressed in 1 John chapter 1. Turn with me there if you can. 
First John chapter one, verse three. We've been in the book of first John lately. So we'd be familiar with this verse. Verse three goes on that which we have seen and heard speaking of Jesus as he walked this earth in human form. That's what they're talking about. We've seen and heard Jesus as he walked this earth. And we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship, the shared life with us. And indeed our fellowship, our shared life is with the father and with the son, Jesus Christ. That same word there, koinonia is being used. Koinonia is a shared life with other believers. It's a life that, as John says here, that we also share with God the Father and God the Son. It's a relationship. It's a supernatural union. God-given union. And Paul in Philippians 2, he reminds the Philippian church, first of the truths about their union with God, their shared eternal life, and then launches into how these truths are to be worked out in their shared life together. Now, as a church, the people of God. So look with me there, and that's where we're going to stay for most of the time. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So what are these truths regarding their shared eternal lives with God? Well, let's read verse 1 again. And I'm actually, the, the NIV, I don't know if the translation will be up there, but it says it like this. It, it adds some implied, implied words here. Verse 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if under any tenderness and compassion. Here, Paul's getting the Philippians to remember what they have received because of Jesus. What's he say first? You're, you're in Christ. You're united with him. Then he goes on. This love. God loves you so much that he became a man. He gave his life for you so that you could be part of God's family. He welcomes you in. You, you have shared life with God's spirit. You've been shown compassion even when you didn't deserve it. Immediately, the story of the prodigal son comes to mind when I think of God's compassion. It's a great story. These truths of the Philippians' shared life with God are truths that are also for us. This is so much here. There's just, there's just so much here that we can celebrate. These truths just aren't for us as individuals either. They're for us together. These truths are for us as a church. I love this word together. This word together right here, it embodies the concepts of our shared life. We're, we're joined with God and we're joined with each other. We've got this vertical and horizontal relationship. And together, it's this word that speaks of being physically present. But it also speaks of being in agreement with one another. One mind. With God, with one another. Oh, may the Lord do that and work that and continue to work that in us. As we see in Acts 2.42, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word common is koine. It's, it's, again, there it is. And so we have a lot in common, church. We're, we are in Christ. There should not be division. We should be united. We are blood-bought people, purchased, rescued. That unites us. God loves us. He gave his life up for us. We're family. We're dearly loved family. That'll get you through some hard times. And we, as those who have placed, as, as those who have been, placed their trust in Jesus, Jesus alone, we have this spirit in us, the same spirit we each have. Man, 
If we, if we got that every time we were about to just lash out at someone. And we have all been shown this compassion, even when we didn't deserve it. We're all in the same boat. Sinners saved by grace. There's no one better. We're all a mess. We need Jesus. And so these truths, they changed the lives of the early church. And these truths have changed the lives of many of us here today. Acts 2, it says they were devoted toward gathering together and sharing life together. I've seen it. I've seen it here. I've seen it. I praise God I've seen it. They sold their possessions and gave what they had to those who were in need. I've seen it. I've seen cars given. I've seen more cars given. It's crazy. Money given in secret. Praise God. They they spent a ton of time together learning about God. They ate together. I've seen a lot of that. (laughs) They remembered Christ's suffering as they practiced communion and they prayed together. I've seen a lot of those things. This is a picture of the church that has been rocked by the truths of this new shared life with God. And Koinonia is a shared life with other believers, a life that we also share, I keep saying it, with God the Father, God the Son. It's a relationship and it's a participation in that relationship. So it's these great truths acted out as well. And Paul exhorts the Philippians to make his joy complete by remembering what they have received in Christ, and then in turn, sharing with others what they have so graciously received. See, guys, God gives so that you and I can give. It's not so that we can receive, but it's so that we can give out of what we've received. And so you're, you're united in Christ? Do all it takes to be united with one another. Refrain from starting or contributing to certain conversations online. That was the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about this. Maybe it's better not said on that platform. Overcome the awkwardness of approaching that brother or sister who has offended you. I had a brother come to me about a week ago, and I still think of that. How, 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 how awkward and hard that is, and yet he did that. He, he was offended. And I, we talked for like two hours, and I'm thankful for every minute of it. It wasn't easy, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful he did that, and he had the boldness to do that. We could devote ourselves to, to reading God's word and prayer so that, you're ready to, so that we're ready to encourage others with the truths of God. See, we're thinking about others as we're th- trying to unite one another, be closer to one another in these things. If you've received God's love, you receive that love so you can love others with the love that was shown to you. Outdo one another in love. And if you've received comfort from the Holy Spirit, you haven't received it just so that you could be comforted. But so you can comfort others with the same comfort you've received. Take time with others. Speak into their lives. Search for where you can lift them up. The Spirit is working and is powerful and is working in us and brings things to mind and brings things to our hearts. And we are called to share that with others. If you've experienced God's compassion and mercy poured out on you, not treating you as you deserve, you'll have compassion for other people who don't think who you don't think deserve it. This can look like having patience with others, even when they mess up over and over again. It can look like bearing with difficult people so much that they are actually part of your life. This goes against the cancel culture stuff that's out there right now. It goes against really the majority of how culture tells us to live. It looks like giving people the benefit of the doubt and not assuming mercy first, not judgment, even if it seems deserved. Whatever God does to us, he intends to do through us. I stole that quote from Jeff Vanderstelt, and I love it. And that is why Paul, I'm going to say it again. Whatever God does to us, he intends to do through us. 
And that is why Paul then calls us to the next thing in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And and the original word here for conceit, it's vainglory, empty, fake glory. So it's the opposite of humility. Instead of humility, it's it's like going against what they're designed for. Instead of lowering yourself so others can be raised, it's a picture of raising yourself up and bringing people low. And that's not what we're called to. We're called to raise others up, build them out, build them up, count them more significant than ourselves. It goes against our natural inclination. Does it not? I mean, we, we, we look for self-protection. We look for survival. That's what we're naturally inclined to do. It goes against any of that. Anything where someone says, you have to look out for, your, for yourself first because no one else will. Common phrase in our, in our culture, Right? But the, there, there are the things in this life that will, hold, that will hold us back. There are things that we're trying to bring into our life that is building up security. It's building up protection. There are sometimes good things. I thank God for my house. I actually own a house in St. Pete. It's ridiculous how I even got it. But the longer I'm there, the more stuff I accumulate and the more stuff I have to fix to keep it up. It has the potential to consume me. And you guys are laughing because you know. But it has this potential to pull me from living intentionally in a way that serves others. It has the potential to keep me from even wanting to go overseas and, and tell, tell people about Jesus, you know. It has the potential to, to keep me from investing in people's lives because maybe I have to fix this when really I should invest in this person's life. And it's a hard balance, right? I mean, my roof can't be caving in. Maybe it can't. I don't know. (laughs) This idea of counting others as more significant than ourselves can even carry over in how we approach our community group nights. Do we go to be served or to serve? Have we given the night any forethought ahead of time? Or do we show up and be like, oh, I'm here now. Now what? Do we look for every opportunity to build others up and serve? I've had people do my dishes for me. Uh, uh, I've seen... um, Students and others, others walking uh, Ann Mansfield out as with her hurt foot and and missing conversations and and, and such, you know, like, and they're doing it. I'm, I'm I'm seeing it. They're bringing food. College students are learning how to cook food better because they love Jesus and want to be like Him. They're talking talking to new people instead of our friends. That can happen today. That can happen wherever we're at. You know, it's more comfortable to talk to our friends. Most of us. Helping before we're being asked to help. These are all areas where we can count others as more significant than ourselves. And if we live for self-advancement, this self-glory, we're never going to be of one mind. It goes against koinonia. It goes against fellowship. We'll always be sort of competing with each other to get ahead or to be more impressive. And it's the opposite of fellowship. It's division. That's what it leads to. And so Paul takes it one step further. Verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Another way of saying this is, pay really close attention to others' interests, just not your own. Think right now of those right next to you. Those who are sitting right next to you. Think of your family now and your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. What are they interested in? What are their needs? Do we know them? What if you committed, what if we committed as much or more energy to their advancement, their honor, their good, as your own. It seemed impossible. It really does. And this is where, and I know many of our hearts are, 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 are yearning for that. We want to do this more. We love Jesus. We want to emulate him in every way. But this is where Paul knows that the Philippians and us, we need to look to Jesus. He just exhorted us to be like Jesus, but we need to reflect on Jesus and let the Holy Spirit help us imitate his life. 
So lastly, we look to Jesus' shared life. In verse 5, Paul urges all of us, all of us, to think like Jesus together. And it's by God's supernatural work and design that we actually will. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then, starting in verse 4, Paul's going to state this familiar hymn. Most theologians and scholars, they think this is an adaptation of a common hymn that many would sing together. So it's very familiar to the people reading or listening to this letter being read. This part is almost like he put song lyrics in it to stir their hearts up. He says, together, think and believe like Christ. And then verse 6, he continues, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And before taking on human form, Jesus was the pre-incarnate, eternal son of God, in the very essence, God, the full radiance of God's glory, the true nature of who God is. This was Jesus. And then he goes and he takes on flesh. And Paul says it this way. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another way of saying this is he didn't consider it something to exploit for his own purposes. He didn't walk this earth saying, I deserve this, or I should have these blessings or these rights. I should be treated this way. No, no, no. He doesn't go after any of that. Instead, he's willing to let go of all of that, and he empties himself, and he pours out his life. He made himself nothing. And Paul continues, he emptied himself by taking on the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Imagine Jesus, the eternal son of God, stepping into our world, our muck, and, and, and our muck in our mess of a world, this brokenness all around. And he doesn't just step into this world. He lives amongst us. He, he takes on humanity. He's born as a baby. He cries. He, he goes to the bathroom. He learns how to walk. And then he grows up. He grows up and experiences the beauty and madness of, of it all. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He veiled his deity, but he did not void his deity. Another way of saying it is, is remaining all that he was, he became what he was not. He became a human. He became a servant. And this is what Paul's exhorting the Philippians to. This, this, is, this is what we see hints of in Acts as well. Having the very mind of Christ. What if they were to say, as Christ came to serve us, we'll now serve one another in his name. And this is for us too. We're to look to Jesus and then look toward others asking ourselves, who can we serve just as Christ served us? Imagine, this is a beating drum. What if we did that? What if we thought of others more important? What if we considered them more significant than ourselves? Wanting to think of their interests and their needs, not just interests toward our needs. We can look to the, the kind of servant Jesus became. In verse 8 he says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself. It doesn't say he was humbled. It doesn't say he was humiliated. Someone didn't make Jesus humble and then he had to deal with it. No, he chose to humble himself. Praise God. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient. He, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the Father. And he did what the Father asked him to do. And in this humility and, and his obedience, he emptied himself by becoming a human with no advantage, no rights, no privileges. And he didn't just become a human. He became a servant. Not just any servant, a suffering servant who, to the point of death willfully for you and for me. And he didn't just die, he died on a Roman cross, a brutal death, a wicked death. It was so bad, so shameful. And he, without sin, he was innocent. He was perfectly obedient to the Father's will. He became sin so that in him we might be declared innocent. Perfectly obedient to the Father's will. 
What humility. What love. Talk about grace. Undeserved. And this is what we've received. Jesus considered our lives so important that he was willing to give his. He considered our needs and our interests so much that he was willing to deny his. He did that for you and for me. He displayed this true nature of God. And we too, when we live in this way, we're displaying God for the world to see. Verse 9, there's this reversal. Christ humbles himself. God exalts him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He exalts him to the highest place. He vindicates Christ's death on the cross by exalting him. And then Paul continues, God not only highly exalted him, but he bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. That's a way of saying everywhere. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Every voice will call Jesus Lord. He was exalted to the highest place and given the name above every name. He's God. Caesar's not God. Caesar's not Lord. He's Lord. And in those days, the early church, it may have appeared like Jesus, or Caesar was Lord. Roman soldiers everywhere. Giant monuments and statues to Caesar. Coins with the picture of Caesar on them. But in our day, it could seem like there's a certain powerful people maybe trying to control us. Trying to deceive us. The chaos of our day can have us feeling vulnerable and on edge. But Jesus is Lord. And he reigns over all and he needs nothing. And yet he cares about us so much that he would give his life for us. If you've not trusted in this Jesus, I urge you today to place your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. For your rebellion against God, the one who has offered all things, the one who offers life. We have rebelled against him. We place our trust in him and find new life, life that is the way God intended And Jesus lived this perfect life that you can never live. And he died the death that you deserved. He died it on a brutal wooden cross. But he overcame death. He was raised from death. He's all-powerful and so greatly merciful. And family, we can live the life that Christ lived as he lives in and through us. We can do it. We can live like Jesus. This can be what we are known for. Our unity. Our shared life. Our sacrificial giving toward one another. Paul talks about the Philippians shining as lights in the world. Chapter 2, verse 15, right after this. In Acts 2, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so, that's why it can't just... This stuff, what we just talked about, this koinonia, this fellowship, it can't just happen on Sundays. The goal is for it to happen every day, for shared life to take place, for us to commune with God daily so we could commune with one another, for us to see our union with God so that we see our union with one another. We have to get outside of this, this building on a Sunday. This is good. Fellowship can happen. Koinonia can happen here on a Sunday. But it can happen as we are loving one another and our neighbors are seeing it. And how are they going to see it when we're spending time with them? When we're giving up some of the th- our interests and looking to the interests of our neighbors. And we're doing it together. Oh, how the world could see our love for one another and know that it is because we follow Jesus Christ. May we be a witness to the world. May we be like shining lights in this world. So let us pray. Father, help us. 
Help us to be shining lights in this world. Help us, oh God, by your spirit, to lay down our rights, to lay down what we think are our rights. Help us to love others as you have loved us, to seek after unity as we have been unified in you. Help us, Father, to welcome others into this family as we have been welcomed in. Help us to comfort as we have been comforted by your spirit. Help us, God, we pray. Thank you for Jesus, the one we can look to, the one we can trust in. Amen.